0: Purple, get ready to roll indeed. Welcome to the final installment of the Snyder 2.0 Retrospective. Hard to believe it, but we are here at the 2018 season. This year ends up being Bill's last at K-State. Uh, I am your host, Jeff Burkhardt, joined as always by Alex Speth, Clint Wilson, and Justin Netter. Looking forward to diving into the final year of the Bill Snyder 2.0 tenure. For those of you who are just listening to us, please do give us a follow on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. You'll find all of our Twitter handles linked out on that main page. And guys, uh, hard to believe it. Like I said, I know I keep citing it over and over here, but we've we've made it through 10 years now of Snyder 2.0. And uh, I've it's kind of amazing how quick the time does go, and we've got a lot of broad questions that we're going to tackle uh, as we get to the end of this uh, particular installment. Uh, we're going to go a little bit quicker through the season uh, than we have been, as for any of our devout listeners, you'd know that we spend a fair amount of time going through old games and old plays and whatnot. We're still going to do that here, but we're going to try and talk about some some of the higher moments of the 2.0 era as this 2018 season is rather bleak. Now, uh, we'll take a quick look back at 2017 and, and, and stop me if you've heard this script here. Uh, K-State sputters out of the gate, loses uh, their uh, three of their first four Big 12 games, and then ultimately rallies, uh, wins four out of five in the regular season, then closes out with a bull victory over UCLA. So the Wildcats finished 2017 with a mark of eight and five and uh guys before we do uh dive into 2018 i know we did briefly touch on it but i think everybody was kind of feeling that same that same sentiment that same thought at this point of what are we building to at at this point we've seen kind of this gradual diminishing you know returns here and I think everybody kind of touched on it last week. But did we all feel like it was time to move on after, after 2017?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was definitely ready. Um, I, I hated the idea of forcing out Bill Snyder. I just wanted him to realize that the time was now. I mean, I'm going to be very angry this entire pod. I mean, just, just talking about the season. It's just so upsetting and it's not because of the record or the poor performance or the, or the, the lack of the incoming recruiting. It's just the, the idea of having to, to push out someone like Bill Snyder, who meant so much to you. Um, it's just such an upsetting feeling. And, um, you know, I, I hated the fact that that's where we were at, but, um, I was already there at the end of 2017 and by the end of 2018 I mean there was just no question that that's had to be what was going to happen.
2: Yeah, I think I had said it last week. It would be a resounding yes for me that I really had hoped a decision or uh, an announcement was coming after we had won the uh the Cactus Bowl. I thought there was some symbolism there in the fact that you know like we won the bowl game that was essentially the same bowl game that Bill had started it at in 1993. Um I think we all knew recruiting wise, the cupboard was bare and was going to continue to be bare. It was definitely time a year before it happened. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, we kind of saw some of the results of that over the course of this next season. But yes, 100% agree with Clint.
3: Yeah, not much more to be said there, but I also agree. I think, uh, you know, I was there, 2016 was a pretty good success setting up for 2017. But even before that, you know, when your coach is approaching 80 years old, you know, if if he was in his 50s or maybe his 60s, this conversation does not go back all the way to like even 2012. Like, does he hang it up and ride off into the sunset? So, you know, it's just something that we as fans have had to think about and deal with for, for quite a while. It wasn't just the last few years. And it just kind of every year that that balance of, uh, you know, kind of wanting to see what we're going to do next and the future of K-State football, but also, you know, being excited about the next season and focusing on the next year instead of the future, you know, that balance just was dramatically shifting towards, I can't even get excited about the next year because it's just, I feel like we're just treading water no matter what, no matter what happens this year. It's just, we're just endlessly talking about like, when, when is it, when are we going to be able to say, this is the next step of the program. Um and like Clint said, you you want Bill to realize on his own that hey, maybe, you know, I'm almost eighty years old or whatever, maybe it's time for somebody else to lead the program into with some more like future forward uh optimism there. But you know, obviously that wasn't really the case. But plus you Also, we're concerned that, you know, maybe you get an announcement a week before the first game of the year saying, oh, I'm retiring. And, you know, Sean's going to have his trial run this year and be the coach for this season. So that's also a concern leading up to that 18th season.
0: And honestly, Alex, that was what I was really I, I, I mean a horribly paranoid person just by my nature and I I, and I'm very much willing to entertain conspiracy theories (laughs) and that was the thought that had been creeping into my mind even before 2018 like you know, your 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 KU friends ask you. Your football, you know, friends that that follow college football ask you always what you thought Snyder was going to do. Is he going to retire? And 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 everybody's given the same answer. Well, I don't really know. Anything could really happen. And I, I it it might be a stretch to say that it was a, a hostage situation, but you you never really felt like you were on a stable ground as you were you know, the first couple of years after he came back and, and turned things around after Ron Prince, like it, you felt like with him, you know, there were points where, again, we've talked about on previous episodes championing Sean Snyder's the, the future, you know, coach of the uh, head coach of the program. And the other element that comes into play this year too, is uh, his throat cancer diagnosis. The, there there's so many things that are out there and, uh, again, we we kind of talked about this too, like it, there's this very fractured fan base. Now, Alex, you, you pointed out a very interesting dynamic of you You always, you get that kind of artificial excitement for the season, like regardless of what year you're going into, what what's in the cupboard, what's not in the cupboard. You know, when that first week rolls around or that week leading up to the first game rolls around, you tend to get excited regardless of how good or bad you think things might be that's always kind of there and I I think we've we've drifted so far away from that because I think so many people felt like we've just plateaued and we don't feel like this program is building towards anything. Yes, we know that the floor is is higher than it is for a lot of other programs, but it's still we we know this team's probably gonna go out. They're gonna be competitive more times than not. They're gonna probably win a game that they should shouldn't, and they're probably gonna lose. And we've reached the point now where we're talking about losing a lot more games that you shouldn't be losing. You know, we've talked a bunch about double digit leads being blown and, and not being safe and everything. And we, we've we've we passed through all of this. So there's just a lot of elements heading into this season and you you see it in the stands now attendance is starting to dwindle you're hearing about long time season ticket holders not renewing there's you could tell this is kind of when things had come to a boiling point and and i'll, I'll touch briefly before we do dive into the season uh recruiting for this this squad leading into 2018 this is actually by by snyder 2-0 standards a pretty respectable class they come and rank uh, excuse me ranked 52nd overall uh, lots of high school commits in this group, and guys, uh, some names that fans are going to be pretty familiar with. Uh, Malik Knowles, one of the headliners in this group. Cody Fletcher, a uh, guy who's penciled in on the two deep for K-State at the linebacker position this year. Echo Boido. Uh, there's a lot of big uh, names or contributors in here. Katori Levinson at uh, Leviston is also on this class. There's a lot of names uh, in this class and that ultimately turn into be pretty solid contributors, but we've also again like i said that fans aren't really satisfied with recruiting we're, we're not really seeing you know big time we're not seeing four star kids coming in and we're seeing some guys that are leaving the program uh, after you know they get on campus for a hot minute and then they're seeing again the, the work that's required and everything and they're and they're not wanting to invest and then they end up transferring out so the the culture surrounding the program it, it's not not the best again and I think a lot of that has to do with the predicament that we're in where we have this coach who's approaching 80 years of age we have coordinators that are in, in that same camp age-wise but um, there's just a lot of uncertainty and and nobody's feeling very confident about the direction and trajectory of the program as a whole but all, all that said we we look forward now uh to dive into the 2018 season and, and as we said we'll we'll try to go quicker through these games uh i, I will say uh, nutter we, we touched on this briefly before we started uh recording here uh, this this opener against south Dakota really was just kind of the prelude of what we would see throughout the season where k State has this quarterback controversy between skyler and delton that just it persists throughout the entire year, but but that's really not the headliner. the The headliner in all this is that you're you're being forced into a a game against a one double a team in which you are really a, from a from a talent standpoint on a much more level footing than you want to be.
2: Yeah, uh, not I don't want to steal words. I will say Alex had said it off air a couple of weeks ago that this is the first time we felt that we had to survive against a team at that level. And it was very apparent that we didn't just get outplayed that day. Like that was a actual, like even keeled, very level playing field. And that's every sort of red flag went up in that one. I mean, obviously there were some key mistakes, you know, Delton again, really got kind of exposed in the passing game that day. Um, You know, it it took a, a punt return and a miracle touchdown pass to Zuber to bail us out. But you know, that quality of opponent, it should never, ever be that close. This is kind of laughable the way that it all shakes out. Uh, Skyler is named the starter
0: in this co- uh, contest, which, again, the, the QB position is very much up for grabs throughout the season. Uh, just with the kind of the direction that Snyder wants to take the offense versus the direction that the the new coordinators were now tag teaming between Andre Coleman and. Colin Klein, the direction that they feel they want to go with things. But K-State's minus four in turnovers in this game. They do outgain South Dakota. But this this game looks like K-State's pretty well cooked heading into the fourth quarter. The Wildcats are down 24-12, to 12, uh, but they do. And, and we have a very critical interception, uh, and, and no fault of Skyler's in this one. He, he drops a dime to Dalton Schoen, who bobbles it. And uh, as it gets tipped up into the air, South Dakota defensive back picks the ball off. Uh, so it looks like K-State uh, having really struggled to move the ball and having to have settled at this point for four field goals. Uh, it looks like K-State's going to be dropping their home opener to a 1-double-A. However, we mentioned it. some late-game heroics. Isaiah Zuba, uh, Zuber has an 85-yard punt return, and then he also comes through on the Cats, uh, one of their final possessions in the fourth quarter with a 10-yard uh, touchdown reception from Skylar Thompson, a, a beautiful pass in the back of the end zone heading into that north end zone. It was, It was a great throw-and-catch. Alex Barnes ran in for the two point conversion and K-State escapes with a, with a 27 to 24 win. Uh, South Dakota actually got into position to kick a late potentially game tying field goal in this one that ultimately missed. But we talked about it. This, this really does set K-State up for what looks to be a, a less than impressive season. So the Wildcats do move to 1-0, uh, but uh, not an impressive fashion. They, then the, and this is the one where I think this really underscored a, a, a gap in talent uh, in, in week two when K-State squares off against the 18th ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs. And um, I don't know who wants to take the lead on this one, but I, I think this is the most decisive three touchdown loss I have ever seen. Uh, 31 to 10 really does not do the, sco- uh, do the game justice. This was a game where Mississippi State just vastly outclassed the Wildcats.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not going to have anything good to say through so much of this, Todd. I, I, I didn't even, uh, you know, go through and watch highlights just because the season was so miserable for me. Um, you, you're absolutely right. Just completely outclassed, um, you know, if, if that happens against some of the, the better teams in college football, you know, what are you going to do? But Mississippi State was a good team, but they're not somebody who should just be blowing you out and making you look like you just don't belong in the same football field. Uh, You know, White Hubert had an interception. That's always fun for a defensive end. Oh, there goes my. Sorry about that. Had ESPN up. You know, those highlights just start running. White Hubert, interception. That's kind of fun. That's about the only good thing I remember for that game.
0: And there, and Clint, strangely enough, there was actually like a point in this game where it seemed like K-State might have a chance to get back into it. It's 24-3, to uh, and then uh, Skyler drops a touchdown pass into Dalton Schoen in the back corner of the end zone, um, and makes it 24-10. to But Mississippi State... Uh, <laughs> When, when they got pushed even just a little bit in this contest, they they stepped up. Now, Nick's, Nick Fitzgerald wasn't by any means a great passer this day. Uh, he had a, a 27 attempts for 154 yards, but he did throw a couple touchdowns. The big story in this game was Kylan Hill from Mississippi State, who ran for 211 yards. And Mississippi State just road-graded the Wildcats' defense in this game. They, they outgained K-State 538 to 213. It was just it wasn't much of a contest in the trenches and you know as bad as it was when the bulldogs had the ball k-state's offense really looked overmatched in this one and i i'd be remiss if i didn't mention the fact that there are three first and first round nfl draft picks on this defense for mississippi state they they were pretty well stacked with talent going into the 20 for the 2019 draft class and then also in the 2020 class, Willie Gay, a current Kansas City Chief, was part of that draft class. So there's a lot of talent on this Mississippi State defense, which was uh, very like historically good, especially uh, from a program perspective. The best unit Mississippi State has ever had come through uh, in Starkville. But the Bulldogs blow K-State out on its own uh, on their own field here. The quarterback battle continues. There's a little back and forth between Skylar and Delton. Delton has a really bad turnover late in the first half in this one. And we don't really seem to get any kind of clarity in terms of the direction that we want to go moving forward. So K-State falls to one and one, but we move on now to game three and, and no, not much to, to really say about this one. This is pretty ho-hum affair. K-State takes care of UTSA 41 to 17 at home. Uh, again, we Skylar throws for 213 yards. He's the leading rusher. He's the leading passer on this day for K-State. So we think we maybe are leaning one way or the other, but Delton also has a nice touchdown pass in this one. So we're feeling that we maybe have a little bit of sense of direction in terms of what might be happening offensively, but they're still not that Great confidence. I'll say this at this point. I, and, and Alex, I'll I'll ask you. Did you feel like K State really knew where it wanted to go at this point in the season?
3: Yeah, it still felt like you know one of those early who we're gonna go with kind of things. So you're hoping they figure it out after this game, pick a guy, kind of just go with it. But yeah, I didn't feel too confident that even though I think most people had strong opinions on who it should be at the same time you know i think skyler should have just you know he's the quarterback let's go with it but it's not like he was really playing all that well up to this point either to really separate himself even though we we kind of knew who had the better uh, abilities back there but so i think um it, it it is getting worrisome at this point in the season about how they're handling the quarterbacks but Still, it's this isn't the first time it's happened with Bill. Just kind of three, three or four games into the year, still trying to figure out who the quarterback is. But red
0: flags are sure to come. <laughs> uh, plenty at that. Uh, so K State, two and one through the non-con, and then we open up Big Twelve play on the road. And uh, the, this is West Virginia's. This is one of Dana Holgerson's best teams that he's had at, in Morgantown. And they thump K State 35 to six. It's it's never uh, really in doubt. Uh, there is a moment and a quote that comes out of this game too. There's a moment late in the first half where K State's really struggling. They're just trying to get something positive to happen offensively. And on a, a fourth and short on the Wildcats' own side of the field, uh, Skylar Thompson tries to uh, pick up that. Necessary yardage, but West Virginia rises up and stops him behind the line of scrimmage, and this leads to Bill Snyder calling out his quarterback after the game and saying that he can't do much when a, his guy can't get six inches. So there's there's that that's put into the ether, and, and and I we and I hate to be the guy who makes a lot of that because we talk so much about how Snyder has always been a man of very few words. And it's always when a, when, when he talks, you listen type of thing. This is a point now where it's like, why, why are, why is he saying this about his own guys? We didn't really ever have to worry about anybody being called out at any one point, but, you know, we had the, the little miss, the mishap at the catbackers meeting where he mentioned that, Corey Sutton had failed the drug test and, you know, and now we're, you know, in the early odds of what looks to be a, a tough season and, uh, we're getting players, you know, not direct, you know, we're getting players called out here. So th- things aren't looking good. And, and, and this ends in a game that ends in a 35 to six defeat at the hands of the Mountaineers. Uh, and that leads into, uh, after, after this. So Skyler has started every game of the season to this point, and Bill makes the decision the next week to start Alex Delton against 18th ranked Texas, which at this point has the best rush defense in the Big 12. And uh, another thing I remember leading into this game, uh, listening to Stan Weber at that point doing his uh, his weekly blitz on 810. I I remember BITB asking him why the 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 decision was made to go with Skyler, and it just made no sense. and, and Keatsman is drilling into Stan and Stan just like, well, you know, K State always has to have quarterback run game. It's a very critical element. And Texas is a team he can, like and again Stan just very much giving the company line there. And then Kevin's just not having any of it at all and, and like going out of his way to just say, no, Skyler's the quarterback. Like you have to commit to Skyler being the quarterback. It just makes no sense. And, and then lo and behold, K State again against at that point the best rush defense in the Big 12 falls into a 19 to nothing hole against Texas. Delton uh, unfortunately gets knocked out late in the first half, which gives way to Skyler. And, and Skyler helps rally the squad. Uh, they come back and close this one to 19 to 14. Uh, they do have a chance late with ball, but unfortunately aren't able to convert on a uh, on a drive in which they're down by th- that five point margin. So, K State ultimately ends up falling at the hands of Texas in this game. So now we're off to an 0-2 start in Big 12 play, and that takes us to probably the most frustrating game of the season. Uh, this is a, a a road trip to Baylor where. Guys, I, the one thing I remember about the, the, this game was just K-State doing anything and everything that it wanted to offensively, but just not being able to get out of its own way defensively. This was a tough one to watch.
2: Missed tackle after missed tackle after missed tackle is what I remember about this one defensively. Uh, that and uh, and I'm gonna blank on his name now that I'm now that I'm looking for it. Um, that they, they had a receiver that I mean kind of torched us all day and came up big the uh, the last touchdown of the game uh Mims Denzel Mims uh mm-hmm. he you know ended up scoring the ended up scoring the the game tying touchdown um but you know Baylor was always known for studs uh, at receiver they have been for years at this point but uh yeah this one was absolutely ours for the taking Skyler made a very bad decision right after that Mims touchdown threw into double coverage got picked off on the sideline that was pretty much all she wrote in this game um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we've said it a 100 times in the last few weeks, this has become the trend, games that are right there, ours for the taking, we like the discipline, we like the athleticism to just get the damn job done.
1: Coming into the season, you know, uh, Thompson and Delton had kind of shined at different times, but never uh, been consistent, uh, I was high on Thompson up until that UCLA game where he was just terrible so, you know, coming into the year, I just I, I wasn't sure what we were going to get from the quarterback play. But I thought Alex Barnes was going to be our guy on offense. We had a returning offensive line with some, I mean, Scott France. Uh, Dalton Reisner was still there. Holtorf. Uh, they said some good things about him. So I thought we were going to be able to run the ball at least. And up to this point, the offensive line and the running game was just not going well which you know everyone around uh, the Big 12 spoke really highly of Charlie Dickey as an offensive line coach, but that was kind of a theme where it just took the offensive line several games into the season to really uh, gel together, I guess, because that happened year after year. Um, but, yeah, up to this point, Alex Barnes really hadn't done much, uh, but this is the game he really exploded, uh, just like that uh, Baylor game two years previous where he had four touchdowns Let's see, uh, looking at stats here. This game, he ended up with 250 rushing yards on 22 carries. That's 11.4 yards a carry. And then he had three touchdowns to go along with it. Um, so, yeah, very disappointing on the defensive side, but at least we had Alex Barnes cooking in that game. You know, looking for small things to be happy about at this point.
3: Yeah, the story of this game is. You know, Barnes going off, the offense playing pretty well, but missed tackles by the defense and turnovers. Uh, you know, K-State's always been kind of, they want to win the turnover battle just because their, their margin for error is very thin. And I don't know, it seems like in this this season and kind of the later years of this era, the turnover battle has been going against us quite a bit, so...
1: One more thing I do want to throw in there is Duke Shelley had an unbelievable interception where he's diving forward and just gets his fingertips on the ball. Um, you know, he was a guy who would give up some big plays, but also would make some just incredibly athletic uh, interceptions and defensive pass breakups. Uh, a guy who was definitely one of my favorites. Love that guy. Go, Duke.
3: He had There's a nice reason. Texas as well. We kind of uh, skipped over any, there wasn't a lot of memorable plays, but watching the highlights, I think it was against Texas where he, or maybe it was this, I don't know, is that the one you're talking about? He like tipped it to himself in the back of the end zone? Nope. No, no, no. That Texas one's pretty impressive too. So good job, Duke.
0: Yeah, there's a reason that man plays on Sundays for sure he was one of the best uh, best defensive backs of the two oh era and this game uh, again ends in a a 37 to 34 defeat it's a seesaw affair K-State really when when it has an opportunity to take control it, it shoots itself in the foot again. We have a very bad Skylar interception. There was a there was a fumble on a kickoff in this game. Uh, we had an overthrow of a wide open Alex Barnes, who would have had a walk in touchdown. Uh, there are just lots of little things that K State just again could not capitalize on in this game. And the offense made plenty of play. And I say all of that to say the offense made plenty of plays. This was one of K State's best games offensively if you look at it purely from points per play or excuse me yards per play it was the highest of the season k-state got just under eight yards per play they ran for 319 yards as a team averaged almost 10 yards a carry as a team i mean the offense did more than enough to to get the job done in this one but uh, as good as the offense was conversely like you said netter defense was a train wreck at tackling on this day. Gave up 557 yards. Baylor ran 93 plays. Uh, That was the most K-State's defense would see all season long, and by a pretty wide margin, too, the the second most plays they uh, saw that season was against South Dakota, who ran 77. So, K-State drops one, uh, Baylor with a field goal at the gun to win this game, which sucks even more talking about that because that's how those assholes beat us last year. Last two trips to Waco have not been fun. So now K-State is 0-3 in Big 12 play. And then we come home for the weirdest game, (laughs) probably the weirdest outcome of the season in conference play, where K-State blitzed a, a... an okay Oklahoma State squad, not one of Gundy's better teams, but at this point, K-State's 0-3 in Big 12 play, Oklahoma State's 4-2 and coming into Manhattan. They Again, you had no reason really to be super confident that this team would find a way to win because it's, it's really had, it's found it's been a different thing every week. Uh, again, we had the Offense just being completely inept against West Virginia. We had, again, missed opportunities against Texas. But, uh, again, that that really was more of a byproduct of starting Delton over Skyler. And then you have the Baylor game where you kind of put things together offensively, but your defense really lets you down with porous tackling. So, at this point, K-State's 0-3, and, and it's not looking like the bull streak is going to continue. But the Wildcats managed to pick up a win in this game um Alex if you had to rate how surprised you were (laughs) with this outcome on a scale of one to ten where would you fall it was like a a solid eight
3: maybe a nine because just the way we were playing and I know at the end of this year this uh Oklahoma State team doesn't turn out to be so great but you know they were kind of hanging out in the rankings up to this point um So I kind of just chalked this up as an automatic loss. I didn't think, especially with the type of games we usually have against Oklahoma State, you know, of of all the years to just come out and just have an easy win, uh, I did not think this would be it. So,
1: Another great Alex Barnes game. He gets his four touchdowns on the ground, and he comes away with a really incredible uh, reception downfield. I think it was a wheel route that he – was going down the sideline. He pulls the ball in with one hand, and then he gets popped, holds on to the ball. Uh, Duke Shelley had another great game, came away with two interceptions, but unfortunately on that second interception, he would uh, get tackled in kind of a weird way and be his last play of the season.
0: And that was one of those two where uh, that was on, like the game had already been decided to, that that was the part of it that really sucked hearing about was the this was oklahoma state's final drive it's thir- the final score ends up being 31 to 12 like this this game is over the, there's no chance for oklahoma state to win it with any kind of miraculous finish um and i remember duke saying that he wanted to try and take uh take that back to the house because that would have tied him for i believe would have tied him for the school record for pick sixes had he managed to return that for a touchdown but unfortunately like you said clint he ends up getting tackled In a weird way and ends up going out for the remainder of the season so k-state does pick up a big 12 win alex go ahead oh just
3: jogging my memory that interception i thought was against texas was actually um in this game that first one he had in the back corner of the end zone against tylen
1: wallace so little error there (laughs) Speaking of Tylen Wallace, they ran him on a little reverse where they actually kind of pitched the pass forward to him uh, right next to the goal line. And young Mr. Uh, White Hubert blew him up in the backfield. It's funny, funny to see White Hubert with short hair in that highlight.
0: <laughs> yeah, you forget White Hubert already started making contributions this season. Like, it, it, it seems like he hasn't been here that long and and – just crazy to think that he was already starting to make plays as as a freshman for this defense, but that's that kind of paints a picture of things because we we know Snyder's penchant for playing underclassmen, and it's not something he and the staff will tend to do. But it was nice to see Wyatt Hubert get in there and and start making plays early on in his uh his playing career, and and he helps lead K State on this day to a as we said a 31 to 12 victory over oklahoma state so first big 12 win of the season for k-state and now we are on to the oklahoma game this game i think is when most people packed it in for good on, on snyder and and i hate to be the one to say that but i i, I very distinctly remember joel clatt talking this and for whatever reason the this game was on Fox proper uh, and, and just a picturesque setting in Norman on a, a Saturday in October. It's gorgeous outside and everything. And, and this is a good Oklahoma team led by Lincoln Riley. No shock at all. But I just remember this team looking lost, looking unmotivated, just a lot of things that you don't see from a program that that has good health, that that feels like that the guys feel like they're building towards something. I, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like the, the, the even the biggest Snyder apologist at this point, this game kind of
2: broke them. I had, uh, to give you an idea where I was mentally at this point in the season, I had left for a wedding at halftime of this game, and I believe it was 34 to seven Sooners and like absolutely nothing had gone our way the entire game. And I actually forgot to check the score until the next morning. And if you know me, that is absolutely out of character for me. I just, I think I cared so little at this point and the writing, like you can't even say the writing was on the wall anymore. Like it, like it, everything, like the foundation was starting to crumble at this point. I mean, at this point, I'm starting to think about like long-term ramifications of where this is headed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think you said packed it in. So I, I mean, I definitely fit that description.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I always keep, hope for the rest of the season. I mean, even if we are haven't won a single game, I mean, I want to watch K-State win one. I mean, that, that wasn't the case this year, but I am always the optimist a little bit at least. But, you know, I like I said earlier, I, w- I was ready for this season to be done and bring on some changes.
3: Unpopular opinion, but uh, I was almost to the point where I was like hoping we were going to lose out just so it would... Be for sure
1: Snyder <laughs> last year. Mm-hmm. I, was yeah, I, I never got that far, but I mean,
3: I mean, once game time came around, I wanted to win the game. But like during the week, I'm just like, if we lose out, there's no way he can come back. Like a change has to be made. I was just getting so desperate to, you know, obviously if he said, hey, this is my last year, I'd be like, all right, let's win the rest of them and send them off or whatever. But I was in a weird headspace, so.
1: Yeah, and if you would have told me that in 2018, I probably would have yelled at you and told you you're a bad fan, but then secretly (laughs) being like, yeah, I I get it, Alex. Yeah.
3: Like, I didn't want to lose the games, but
0: I kind of wanted to lose the games. (laughs) It was sad to, to start hearing. Again, these people were in the vocal minority. At least I felt like they were, but you had a lot of people saying that they were hoping that the the team was going to lose. And, and and nobody wants that. If, if you did, then, you know, hey, man, that's, that's your prerogative. But I never wanted to watch us lose. And, and I, I hated to, to think that this might be the way that it was going to end is with this team just eating, like really eating the curb throughout, you know, as we close out of the season. Now, the Wildcats fall 51 to 14 to Oklahoma. Sooners have 702 yards of offense, the average over 10 yards per play. It's 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 not great. Not great. Um and, and the, the the home stretch does have some some winnable games on it. Uh, road tilt at TCU and this is a TCU squad against taking a step back. You have got a game, home games left against Kansas and Texas Tech and then your road, final road tilt at Iowa State. So the opportunity is still there, uh, but N- Nutter, I know this this next game the this game against TCU is again one where they just can't get out of their own way I mean it's it's nothing more than that like this team uh, opening possession of the game K State forces a three and out on defense they uh, TCU punts Isaiah Zuber muffs it. TCU recovers, scores two plays later. I mean, th- and, and and this is a game that ends in a fourteen to three, or excuse me, fourteen to thirteen defeat at the hands of the Horn Frogs. But man, if you were still sticking with the squad through thick and thin, this this was one that you hated to see.
2: Yeah, I I, I said I was checked out after the game in Norman. I should walk that back, back because I was pissed after this one. Um, you know, it was unfortunately at this point kind of a trend. I don't mean to single the guy out, but Isaiah Zuber made a handful of catastrophic mistakes on special teams this year. This one came early and turned into a, you know, seven, if not more point swing, because like you just alluded to, Jeff, we hold them on their first possession. They kick it away. We're going to get great field position. He coughs up the punt. They go right down and score. That kind of set the tone. Obviously, you know... TCU is not especially good that year. We do enough that we're in it all the way to the end. Um, we seemingly tie the game early in the fourth quarter. And then there is a botched snap, another specialty mistake, on the uh, point after that is so bad. It actually, in, in real time, I thought it was a design fake, which made absolutely no sense. Then I found <laughs> out later, no, the snap was just that poor. Um so, yeah, again, just, you know, these costly mistakes, you know, again, another game where we have at least three turnovers, um, ours to lose and we lost it. I mean, not much else to say about it.
0: Nope. There's that. K-State's, uh, coughed it up three times today. There's also a, there's a missed field goal in this game as well. Like, uh, just lots of little things uh, that just keep piling up. And I, I think the biggest thing that this is underscoring that I think the 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 Snyder advocates have been all too reluctant to, to acknowledge has just been how the margin of error just year by year has continued to, sh- to shrink and shrink and shrink. And now it feels like we like and I think at this point of the season too, the guys are, are feeling it, you know, yes, you have that one, the Albatross, the Oklahoma game where you just get work. But we're still seeing this team competing. But I think guys are really tensing up because they're feeling that that pressure of we literally have no margin for error. You have to make every fundamental play that you can possibly make, and if you don't, we're going to lose the game. And I, I think the guys were feeling that tension more than they probably ever had. Uh, the guys that were, you know, upperclassmen were feeling that tension more than they ever had because, at this point, really, your only truly reliable. Commodity that you you can bank on production from is Alex Barnes. He's been going out and he's just he's a workhorse this year. Um, and, but beyond that, you're you lean at wide receiver with with Zuber having you know a lot of mental you know lapses. But Dalton Shones, Dalton Jones had the case of the drops throughout the season. Uh, you you don't really have any big weapons at tight end. Justin Silman's kind of gone. By the wayside, Dalvin Warmack has, uh, has you know this this is the year that Dalvin Warmack was more or less recruited to come back to K State to to continue playing um, by Andre Coleman and, and and he doesn't really see the kind of touches that we we felt like, that we as fans felt like he was going to get so uh, there's just a lot of inconsistency again on offense it's a pretty easy word to throw out <laughs> and then defensively you've got a lot of of green guys that just don't have a lot of experience you know guys like day daquan Patton uh are being asked to anchor a defense and this is his first year as a starter uh wide hubert again very early very very early on in, in his career but you lose your one you know elder statesman in the secondary and and Duke Shelley And then you're looking at guys like Kevion McGee and, and, uh, Eli Walker. You just, there's, there's just a lot, not a lot of things that you can rely on. And this just kind of underscores the, the lack of overall depth in the program, the lack of, uh, of talent, uh, development over the last several years and and like i said this this does kind of come to a head here as we enter the home stretch of the season where k-state after dropping that game against uh, tcu uh now uh one and uh excuse me one and five in big 12 play they do come home and, and guys th- this was the game where i felt like i i honestly was trying to mentally prepare for it because I didn't think KU was that much better than us, or that much worse than us, rather, the year before when K-State went into Lawrence and won 30-20, to 20. and this year in particular, like, you kind of watched this game with, you know, you had your eyes closed and you would peek and you'd look and like, okay, and then you'd close them again, because this <laughs> this was just an ugly game where it honestly didn't feel like K-State was the better team against KU.
1: No, it certainly did not, and it easily could have gone the other way. Uh, Skylar Thompson was out for this game, and Alex Delton was uh, nursing a fairly serious leg injury himself. Um, so, you know, kudos for him for toughening, uh, just being a tough player and uh, uh, just, you know, going through the entire game. And he had that run at the end of the game to get us into the end zone and win it. You know, he would transfer out the next year, and a lot of people were upset that he ended up with a with TCU with a conference foe. But this is a game I'll always remember uh, that we could have easily lost to KU if it wasn't for Alex Delton coming in and playing while he was dealing with that injury.
2: Yeah, That's- I said last year's game against KU was, I believe I said annoying. This one was just disgusting. I mean, this I don't know that I've ever been less fulfilled after a win. I mean – the the only thing to take away from it, yeah, you know, Dalton got the job done. I I remember uh, probably the best pass of his career to Dalton shown down the sideline to set up that game winning touchdown. But uh, this, thank God, we got this one done because we never, none of us would have ever heard the end of it if if we dropped this one in what ends up being Bills last year in Manhattan, no less.
3: Yeah. And- and- lights of this game and looking down and seeing both teams were three and six and just thinking like what has happened this is just I don't know just ridiculous but and I mean frankly they probably should have what taken the lead late in that game if it wasn't for a pretty generous holding call (laughs) a
2: couple of them I think
3: a couple holding calls I think one wiped out a long touchdown that would have Probably won in the game, or at least you know, had a pretty significant impact on the game. It,
0: it was tough to stomach for a lot of different reasons, uh, and, and the narrative was kind of: is Ku closing the gap with Kansas State, or is is K State re- receding back? And th- this kind of reinforced the latter. Now. Uh, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention there were some entertaining moments in this game. Uh, Clint, you talked about Delton, obviously the go ahead touchdown run was was awesome to see um, the the Alex Barnes jump kick on Mike Lee, like going all Mortal Kombat on his ass. That was fun to watch. And, and Mike Lee, you're now 0 and 3 against K-State. Eat a dick. Good, sir. Um, <laughs> there was that moment. Uh, And also, uh, at the very end of the game where KU's trying to get into position to potentially uh, uh, kick—excuse me, rather, to get in position for a late touchdown, uh, Peyton Bender just totally biffs a (laughs) a snap, and he's trying to recover it and throw it away, and he fumbles it again, and K-State falls on it. Uh, You know— Isolating this one game, this one moment, and beating KU—like, yes, there's the positives, and you're happy about that. But then again, when you think about it in a, a much broader context, it, it it does bring to light some things that I, I think a lot of K-State fans, again, have, as the season has progressed, come to acknowledge that that we we might not be as on st- on as sturdy footing as we want to say and. And the other thing too, I think a, a lot of the obviously the older crowd looked at at Snyder as just this infallible character who would never make mistakes, and and, and it's unfair to look at any human being like that just in general because like coaching is hard. Like I'm not going to ever argue like coaching is a is a hard job. Game planning is is a hard job and i think everybody just always inherently assumed that this man was always going to come up with some type of a scheme some type, you know some type of script uh, play script or at a critical juncture of the game that they always just felt like he was going to be able to just forever out scheme every single team and i think this is bringing to light the fact that Yes, you can. You can coach every player until you're blue in the face, and you can try to develop and enhance this talent as much as you can. But at the end of the day, you, you've got to have more in the cupboard than just one guy offensively. You need to have more pieces around him to make this a much more viable uh, product to watch. Now, K-State does pick up a win, and, and and despite the the again the one and five start to Big 12 play now two and five. Ah, uh, bull eligibility still mathematically out there for k state. and and they come through uh, the following week on what ends up being Bill Snyder. and this is a thing that we don't really ever hear about. Bill Snyder's final home game. Uh, and And I went to this game with my family and 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 it, and it was very much like the Missouri game in two thousand and five. I went to that one as well. It, this was a cold day in Manhattan, Kansas in a very wide open Bill Snyder family Stadium uh for the senior day against Texas Tech um K State comes through and, and again mathematically not eliminating <laughs> not eliminating bull eligibility they find a way to beat Texas Tech 21 to 6 uh, the best defensive performance of the season K State limiting Texas Tech to uh less than 200 yards and 3.2 yards per play so there's there's a lot of things to be happy about with the way that this team is is still somehow, some way, some reason they're still going out and, and competing. And I think that's again a credit to what Snyder and Company did. Uh Clint, I know there's probably a couple plays that we want to touch on in this one. And I I would be remiss if I did not mention this. The Dalton the throwback tackle eligible to Dalton Reisner. That will be forever be a touchdown in my book, but they called that back on a BS penalty. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know the coaching staff was just having fun at that point. They knew what the season was. Uh, you know, give your star offensive lineman a little bit of love. Um, I, we discussed this before. What did we decide it was that it was? It was supposed to be a backwards pass, and it ended up being forward. Was that what it was? Uh, so. That was,
0: the, yeah. And man, it, it it's so close. And it and the game was pretty well decided too by that point. Like as an official you really had to want to throw the flag that was just my thought on it
1: yeah you know who who led the team in receiving that day true freshman Malik Knowles my guy going to have a huge 2021 um you know kudos to Snyder for playing some of the true freshmen that year taking advantage of the four game rule i don't know if that was the first year or second year of it i believe it was new this year okay yeah him and Lance Robinson had gotten their games in um you know also playing uh, redshirt freshman white hubert a lot um so i mean we we were doing what we could throwing the players we had out there trying to win games out of necessity yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah this uh this game should have been a lot more lopsided um k-state had uh th- this is after After Delton had come in, and again, Alex, uh, or excuse me, Clint, rather, as you had pointed out, very heroically led the Wildcats to a a win over the Kansas Jayhawks the previous week. So Skylar Thompson, though, back healthy, gets the nod to start, and and he has a pretty good day. Throws for 213 yards, has a touchdown. Um, There's a lot of possessions late in in the third quarter where k-state again just kind of continues to do what they have been doing throughout the whole season they they turn the ball over they make some untimely mistakes and and leads to some uh leaving the door open for tech but still the wildcats do manage to hold on this is another thing i will point out this is my big conspiracy theory game because this is Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I think a lot of Tech fans have felt, has overstayed his welcome in in Lubbock, so getting ready to uh, (laughs) oust one of their true sons. uh, Texas Tech did not bring any cold weather gear uh, for this game, and temperatures were in the 20s at kickoff, and That's just my conspiracy theory right there. I said I'm willing to entertain a lot of ideas. I say that Texas Tech did that intentionally so they knew that they would have reason to fire him after this season. But in any event, it works to K-State's advantage. The Wildcats pick up a 21-6 win, and this brings us to the finale on the road against the Iowa State Cyclones. So we have... Again, bull eligibility on the table, uh, and, and why would it not be? This has just kind of been the the theme of, of 2-0, where the teams always seem to, uh, at least the latter part of 2-0, these last three seasons, K-State has struggled out of the gate in Big 12 play, but then somehow, some way, finds a way to win a couple steals one game that they shouldn't and, and find itself in a position to, to get to either bull eligibility or to put itself in – uh, better standing for uh, bowl selection. So the Wildcats are taking on uh, Iowa State and Matt Campbell's third year as head coach. The Cyclones are actually ranked coming into this game. They are 25th in the country. And I'll just ask the group, I, I didn't have any good thought about this game. I-, I was really just trying to to prepare myself for the streak coming to an end uh k-state had won every game against iowa state going back to 2008 so we're on a, t- a 10 game tear against the cyclones um, but how were you guys feeling heading into this game uh and i i asked that more so to say what do you think was going to happen if k-state did find a way to steal this one and get to that sixth win
2: I had little to no expectations coming into this. You know, no, I think a lot of Iowa State fans, you know, we all give them shit all the time for, you know, complaining about officiating, it's never their fault. But I think a lot of them truly think they got screwed the year before with a couple of picked up uh, uh, pass interference flags late in the game. And then obviously we went at the buzzer. So I think they were up for this one in a big, big way. They busted out those stupid blackout jerseys. It's the only time I can ever remember playing them at night in Ames. um you know definitely they they were up for it you know they had bull standing on the line um obviously you know when when it unfolds like it does i every you know every my inner fan wants us to get that damn thing done and get that you know get that extra bull game but uh you know you know going into it again i like i said i don't think i had much in terms of ex- expectations i just hoped it hoped it wasn't going to be a bloodbath but i was afraid it was going to be
1: yeah, I think a lot of K-State fans had it in their head that if we won, you know, Bill would be back for another year. If we yep. lost, Bill would retire or be forced out. And, um, you know, there was no real reason for anyone to believe that. No one had come out and say that, but said that, but uh, that's just kind of the thought that was just around K-State's uh, fandom at the time. And so there were a lot of people that I felt like were rooting against K-State or were at least hoping that they would lose. And I certainly wasn't one of those people, but I do remember even after the, you know, the big comeback and the disappointing loss, it wasn't a feeling of agony. It was a, kind of a sigh of relief that, you know, you felt like, okay, we might, it's, it sucks that we lost this game, but we might be on to better things now after this.
3: I, yeah. That, so earlier when I said I was almost rooting for us to lose, I wasn't, you know, it was like that thought process of, you know, if we're going to suck, we might suck so bad that, you know, something is forced to change. But, you know, I wasn't going, you know, before the game started being like, all right, let's lose guys. Like I still wanted to win and I was pissed after we lost. However, every loss that mounted, you know, you kind of, you're kind of accepting the loss a little bit easier because you're thinking, well, you know, this is going to lead to change. And I think if Bill Snyder was, say, if we were already locked up a bowl game and we lost this game the way we did, that would probably would have been one of the most devastating losses I could remember. But like you said, Clint, like I was like, oh, sweet. You know, we had a 17 point lead. I was feeling really good about it. But then you're also like, well, if we make a bowl game, like do we just keep this trend going and just repeat next year, then we lose. And I'm pissed. I do not want to lose that game, but quickly about, I don't know, 20 minutes after the game, I'm like, all right, well, season's over. We didn't make a bowl game. What's, what's going to happen? You know, just kind of hopeful for, for a change in trajectory and leadership. So yeah, it kind of made, a, made the losses. Sorry a, it just hoping that it would lead to change, uh, made the losses a little bit easier to swallow.
1: So mm-hmm. And we had so much bad karma built up against Iowa State to where <laughs> we were just so due do. for that to happen to us. And yeah. I, I distinctly remember just all the interactions during the game, before the game, on Twitter with the droves of Iowa State fans that had come out to talk shit. And we got out to that big lead. And we we're, I mean, every, it seemed like every single K State fan who are usually very nice people were just antagonizing any Iowa State fan they could find. And when that when they started to come back, I mean, we all knew what was going to happen at that point. It just, everyone could feel it coming and we all knew that we deserved it. <laughs> and it, it was just almost more comical than it was devastating.
2: Yeah, it does suck. Like, I mean, everything you guys said is spot on. You know, that is a conflicting feeling that a fan shouldn't have to experience, right? Like almost wanting to lose to kind of turn the page or to kind of force the page to be turned. But yeah, to lose this one the way we did, that that sucked. There's no other way to put it. ESPN, I just looked, when we scored, when Thompson hit Zuber to put us up 17 points, there were 12 and a half minutes left and we had a 98% win probability. And Jeff, I remember texting you at that point during the game and basically being like, dude, is this gonna happen? And you said something to the tune of, we just have to avoid the catastrophe play. And yes, it's going to happen. They go two minutes, length of the field. We get the ball back. The catastrophe happens. Skylar gets drilled. They sent a safety on a bliss. He coughed it up. They housed it. Off to the races from there. Yeah. I, I, for the life of me, don't understand why fans would be John with time on the clock. But that's just me being me. But anyway, um, yeah, obviously, you know, it it probably was kind of the the nail in the coffin. It probably was the deciding factor in Bill, you know. Deciding or being decided for that it's time to hang it up, but it is very disappointing that it ended the way it did. I
0: I, I was like you guys. I was actually uh, I was driving back from Hayes, and I, I remember listening on the radio as we we built this lead, and and it was so weird because Iowa State had a very solid defense that year, and I just was not expecting us to to be able to really mount much offensively against them but we end up seeing skylar's best day as a passer throws for three touchdowns no interceptions alex barnes runs all over this uh, iowa state defense and it it was like of course we're going to do this on, on this day against and this at this point this is matt campbell's best team as well like and it was just kind of all laughable like of course we're going to find a way to do this but nutter you, you touched on it the the one thing I said again, the catastrophe play, and that was, you you literally you could not write the the script anymore. Like uh, Clint, you mentioned it. Like we we had no karma left. <laughs> like there there is there is no juju on the side of Kansas State. It is it is all <laughs> very much on the Iowa State side now. You know late. After K State gags the 17 point lead and Iowa State takes the lead. And the thing that, and the other thing I think this kind of underscored really more than anything else is how quickly it all happened. K State went from being up 17 with 12 and change left to being down in less than seven minutes, or excuse me, less than eight minutes of game time. That to me it, it really just did underscore maybe the fact that. Th- this is such a, a different era from from where bill began and built this program up where we now we're in this era of no huddle of tempo of everything going so fast and, and and again that that to me was kind of like this almost as a fitting end to it is that the, the game is kind of not to say that it's passed and by but it in a way, it, it had. It, it's just the the sport was so drastically different than it was, in in the nineteen nineties, and and it was certainly a great run. And and K State ultimately ends up falling in this one, forty two to thirty eight. The streak against Iowa State, long overdue to be broken, comes to a a sad sad end on this day. Uh, and K State ends up finishing the year five and seven, three and six overall. They're eighth in the big 12. Um, now we'll, we'll get into some broader questions uh, at, at this point And uh, cause I think there's a lot that we still need to talk about, but guys, I, I think the big question that we have to ask do, does anyone think that Snyder feels compelled to stick around for that 2019 season? If K-State had found a way to win that game and tangentially, what is the, the fallout if he does end up staying? I yeah.
3: Think, I, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think based on how, what, three out of the last four seasons kind of ended, I mean, why, wow. What what's different now than 15 and 17 and, you know, 13, all those seasons, we kind of did the same exact thing. So, I think the one thing looming over Snyder was probably roster uh, management and attrition. Just the the depth chart just looked like Swiss cheese at that point. But the man holds so much leverage that I think probably getting to a bowl game, you know, easily buys him another year if he wants to stay. Um, at least that's how I viewed it.
2: It, uh... Yeah, I don't think there's any question that if he if he ekes out that win and we end up in a bowl game, God forbid if we win it, you know, um, I think it absolutely buys him another year. And we, we've all alluded to it several times over the course of this episode that, like, I think the fallout is going to be irreparable. Like, I mean, there there's talk of all these guys leaving if he comes back, including Skyler. You know, you're looking at Alex Delton, who we all pretty much know who he is at this point running the show at quarterback. Uh, You got Barnes leaving for the NFL or leaving, you know, to to try his hand at the NFL. So at that point, your backfield is Alex Barnes and Harry Trotter, who I don't believe had played yet. Um, You know, that's not to say they couldn't go try to fix it on the transfer market or, you know, like try to find something at the JUCO ranks or whatever. But like that prospect alone is terrifying. And I mean, I think you're looking at you're looking at a fall that I don't know that we can recover from. If this goes on another year,
1: yeah, he might still be here running uh, John Holcomb down everyone's throats. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think he would be here this long, but yeah, I, I think he certainly would have tried to give another year a run, and you know, might have won two games that year, who knows
0: and And I have to take this time to to say that again, this man has done more than enough for kansas state football for the university for the manhattan community and they're they at this point they're not the, the the voices that were very vocal about him staying and about how anybody under the age of 40 is an ungrateful little shitbird who doesn't appreciate how bad things were the those voices have been quelled to a degree but i think you there were still people that were clinging to that idea. and and Alex, I believe you were the one who brought it up previously that again, people just have it in their head that there there is no one. There's no man who knows how to to run a functional program at in Manhattan and to win games in Manhattan. And I, I think at some point, you just kind of have to rip the bandaid off. and and I, and it's unfortunate that it took missing a bowl game and to see the program deteriorate again might be a strong word here but to see it decline in the fashion that it did i uh, i think f- some fans needed to see that and to realize that snyder I- is human and that this this job is is still very challenging and difficult and and they the game has certainly changed this has moved away much more so, when we used to talk about Develop, You know, you used to talk about talent development and how you deployed that talent on Saturdays, how talent acquisition has become such a bigger component to college football now. And, and I think that was probably the part of the the aspect of the program that was neglected the most in the final couple of seasons. And I think, you know, some people needed to see that and some people needed to see the results on the field. And it's, it's unfortunate, like I said, that everything transpired the way that it did. But I think uh, I, I do also have to give major kudos and credit to Gene for hell- handling this in the manner that he did. This, this was an extraordinarily delicate situation because it, it, Snyder made it very apparent that this was not go- he was not going to go uh, willingly. I, I guess, for lack of a better term here, that this was going to be drawn out and and. and and fortunately, both parties, you know, K-State's athletic department and Snyder come to an accord, and and you know, some people have thrown out that he, Bill was fired, uh, what whatever term you w- you want to use there. At the end of the day, that that a much-needed change uh, needed to happen. This program needed a, an infusion of life, and and I say that, although <laughs> uh, to say that that needed to happen to keep things moving forward, to to reinvigorate and get excitement back in the program, but it, it that's not to say that these previous 10 years weren't a great deal of fun, you know, for for a large majority of the time. And I think the thing that we all can say we appreciated most about the 2.0 era was the fact that and, and I, I talk about this. This was kind of the script of these last couple, but excuse me, uh, the. The way that the staff still, after Big 12 championship gets taken off the table, after big time bowl game gets taken off the table, that we still, that that group still found a way to motivate these players and get them to go out and compete when we're we're talking about you know, bowl game pecking order, maybe, or simply just talking about trying to make a bowl that 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 carrot was always enough to get these guys to still go out and compete for Kansas State and to find ways to win games and and win games against teams that were were frankly more talented than they were. That was something that was very entertaining and and fun to watch. And there there were so many other fun aspects and and great players uh, that we were fortunate enough to watch uh, throughout this era. And I guess I'll start off uh, here. Uh, we'll we'll start with a fun one, guys. Uh, what was your most memorable play from the 2-0 era and why?
1: For me, it was the, uh, the game winner against Iowa State in 2017. And that might be a little bit of recency bias um, because there was definitely some more uh, plays and games that, uh, you know, they meant more. They were bigger wins. But uh, for just one play in one moment to have a walk-off game winner like that, I mean, just the height of excitement. You just, I mean, the elation just can't be matched, really. And to do it against Iowa State, you know, they they suck, but it's just so fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll also go with an Iowa State game. Uh, when this question was first posed, it was the first play to pop into my mind. I'm going to dial all the way back. To uh, 2009, when Bill first came back, that blocked extra point against them in Farmageddon One. Um, another game where nothing was going our way, and suddenly everything was going our way. Uh, that, and just knowing that it kickstarted a string of absolute freaking hilarity against Iowa State over the next decade. I mean, it's you know also kind of the first signature moment of Snyder 2.0. So yeah, that that's definitely a fun one to look back on
3: i will say the uh the fourth down goal line stand against miami in 2011 uh, i feel like 2011 and then 2012 were just you know the the peak of snyder 2.0 and that that game and that play just kind of was the the starting point to all of that
0: and i too really struggled to come up with one you know you think all those great touchdown passes, you know, from Jake Waters to Tyler Lockett and Jesse Ertz and Byron Pringle, and guys like John Hugh. Like, I, I, I really struggled to come up with one play that I, I loved. But and and I, I'll, I'll preface everything by saying there are some people who absolutely detest Baylor, and you have every reason to, especially with the news that came out today. Um, <laughs> but. I don't hate Baylor, perhaps to the degree that some of our fans do, but I loved nothing more than seeing us come back and and miraculously win that game in 2011, where Baylor had vastly uh, outplayed, and you saw a Heisman caliber performance from Robert Griffin, but still K-State found a way to win that that game, really a a perfect microcosm of the Snyder 2-0 era, and the favorite play, and I think the one that gets, I feel bad, not including Jordan Volker's deflection on the fourth down, I have to mention that one, uh, that ultimately ended up getting the ball back to K-State so they could kill the final couple minutes, but Arthur Brown's interception, first interception of the season that Robert Griffin threw, that's the play that always sticks out in my mind, and that really did, while the the my the Miami game kind of set the table for for that big uh, 7-0 start to the season like that that was just an, a highly entertaining moment for me and one of my favorite moments of the Snyder two zero era but there's lots of other you, you you know you could go back and look at the uh, there's plenty of other games that you could throw out there and I know we've got some other topics that that we want to touch on there in that sense um, now we we've talked about our favorite play Um, your if you guys could now let's pivot to a broader scale let's talk about our favorite overall win in the 2-0 era
1: for me it was the 2012 game against West Virginia I'm just a sucker for a blowout and when you take our best team from this era and use the game where they were just clicking the most doing everything right the offense defense special teams were all working Uh, And to do it against uh, a highly thought of team that uh, West Virginia was at that point. Um, And so many memorable plays. All the the touchdowns to Ty Lockett, to Chris Harper, um, Arthur Brown coming away with another big time interception. Uh, That's the one that does it for me.
2: Let me try that again, not on mute. I think I made it to the last damn episode without doing that. Um, So for me, it was 2011, the four overtime win against Texas A&M. Um, you know, I think back to the year before that, where we had, you know, a chance to send Nebraska and Colorado packing with a loss, and just crapped our pants both times. You know, to to get another shot at that, you know, we did the same thing to Missouri, but to win that game against A like we did, you know, it was a game that both teams won and lost about ten times, probably from about mid fourth quarter on. Uh, that one, that one was really special. I mean, even to the point that you remember Bill you know, sticking around after the game and kind of staring at the student section. Um, I think that one meant a lot to him as well. So, yeah, that one was a lot of fun and will definitely stick with me. So, would be number one if we pulled out the win.
3: I think one of my favorite games is that 2011 Oklahoma State game, but I'm not going to give it the nod just because we came out on the losing side. Uh, But I will say 2012 Oklahoma Just, you know, at that point, I think Bob Stoops had lost, like, four home games in his entire career. And even though it wasn't quite the same Oklahoma-caliber teams, you know, that was the big hump of that season to become a really special season. Um, And it was, you know, it was a game with a lot of—it was a close game with with a lot of big plays and just a really, really fun game.
0: No doubt about it. And, and I, I honestly, I, I was kind of like you in that same sense, Alex, where I thought back to games that I really enjoy. Like the, the Auburn game in 2014, there was so much juice in, in, in the stadium that day. And, and it really did remind me growing up as a kid on, on, when you would come in and, and it didn't matter who the opponent was. The fans were still football success was still fairly new to the K state fan. And you had a lot of great atmospheres because of that, because it was so new and everybody, like if you had any attachment to Kansas state, you were, you wanted to be a part of that. You wanted to go to those games and be a part of that atmosphere. And that was what that Auburn game kind of reminded me of. But I, I, God, you could pick the the entire 2011 season. You could <laughs> the, the 2012 Oklahoma game was honestly the one that I landed on as well. Um, my, my main reason being that this win aged the best out of any of Snyder's victories uh, in, in the sense that that Oklahoma team ended up finishing the regular season 10 and two. Um, and I, I say when I say age best, yes, Snyder went in and beat Oklahoma a couple of years later. But that was a that was a team that had taken a little bit of a step back, and that Oklahoma team ended up going eight and five after losing their bowl game. So the the quality of the opponent, you know, not quite as high. This Oklahoma team was very very talented, and, and its only two regular season losses were to the eventual Big Twelve champion in twenty twelve, Kansas State. And then to Notre Dame, so that was that was a great a great thing, and to 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 also end that streak. This was after Oklahoma had just really been working K State over, because K State, if you'll remember back in the in the 90s, as the program started to come up, and they they were now granted they were whooping up on Gary Gibbs and Schnellenberger and John Blake, but um, K State had run a streak of five straight victories over Oklahoma. Well, the Sooners then uh return that favor in a big way uh, winning it was 5 out of 6 against Kansas State to close out the Snyder 10 era so it was great to see bill get back in the win column against his uh, formal former student bob stoop so the, the 2012 Oklahoma gets the nod for me as my favorite game. Now, again, you there's so many others. Like, Clint, I, I love the fact that you pointed out the West Virginia game. Love a blowout. Uh, lots of great moments from, the, from those 2011 and 2012 teams. And I hate – You know, omitting anything from thirteen and fourteen, and even I feel like too, you got to throw out the game in twenty seventeen as an honorable mention, the win at Oklahoma State, and I need to correct myself on that too. I I had mentioned that being Snyder's first ever win on the road against a top uh, top ten opponent. I was off on that. This win against it was the first win since the win on the road against Oklahoma back in two thousand and twelve. So so many great moments uh, again over these these 10 years that Bill was here. And and we do have a couple of other broader topics to dive into here. uh, Guys, Um, I I do want to ask um, about. The group's top uh, and and Clint, uh, I know you're big on your list, man, and we came up with our list of top 10 players here. and, and I, I was kind of surprised at how uh, unanimous we were across the board. There's not a lot of deviation on this. And and Clint, if you want to start off with uh, with your top 10 here, I'll let you go ahead and take the lead, and then uh, we can come in uh, with our dissenting players.
1: Yeah, so like you said, our, each of our top 10, for at least the top eight or so, are, are almost the exact same players. Uh, looks like you and I are the only ones that had DJ Reed. We both had him as our number 10 player. I know you've talked about uh, how you feel like that he's the uh, top cornerback in the 2.0 era, and I definitely agree. He throws in that special teams aspect. Uh, he wasn't just a cover corner. He'd come up and hit you. He'd come up and steal the ball from you. He'd rush the quarterback. Um, what What did you think he was? Um, what do you, What do you think that he did so well that you put him in your top 10?
0: The biggest thing I enjoyed about his game again was the fact that I felt like he was a bit of a throwback to those physical DBs that we had in the early part of the 1-0 era. I think about the way that those defenses that were led by Venables, by Stoops, and Levin, and all those guys, like corners were going to get up in your face. They were going to press you and body at the line of scrimmage. I love the way that we played back in those days and it felt like DJ Reed really was the only guy who kind of embodied that style. That was the thing I loved about him. Again, he also had, like you touched on, he had that different gear. His contributions and special teams cannot go unmentioned as well. He just had a lot of great little attributes, and just, again, some of it might be that nostalgia factor kicking in for me, but that's why I really wanted to get him in my top 10. He, He was a sensational talent, and I just, it sucked that he ended up deciding as so many uh, of these, the recent K State draft picks did. Um, he ended up deciding to leave a year early. I would have loved to have seen what he had done had he stuck around for a senior year. Definitely. Uh, now, but, Alex,
1: you had somebody in your top 10 who no one else had, uh, John Hubert. Now, I actually have. Um, talk Alex about cons- a guy who's underrated yeah i I was gonna ask you alex do you think john hubert is underrated i think john hubert
3: is overratedly underrated (laughs) i think he was very underrated while he played for sure but i think the history everyone has recognized how underrated he is that now people mention him so much as being underrated that it's not necessarily true now but uh Obviously, I have him in my top ten. So, which you know, I had I had about three or four different guys I was shuffling between to put in that that tenth spot. Um, yeah, you also I, had Meshach Williams that you I think you
1: had as a, you know, ten B.
3: Yeah, I put Mishak as tied for tenth, and then somebody deleted that. <laughs> <laughs> Really strict rules we have on this list. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Clint, me and Justin also have DJ Reed in our top ten.
1: Just so. oh, I'm sorry. We you know <laughs> Jeff and I put DJ and you guys put Reed. That threw me off. Okay, yeah, unanimous. We all like DJ Reed. <laughs> me and Justin aren't that dumb, but yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So you actually had him as your number six guy, and uh, Nutter had him as the number eight guy. Um, so yeah, you guys like him better than we do, apparently. Yeah. So. Well, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I believe just Jeff and Nutter have David Garrett on their list. Uh, Nutter, you have him as your number 10 guy. Jeff has him as his number 7. That was one that was a little surprising to me. If we're talking Nichols, I would probably have Randall Evans higher than David Garrett. But as far as players that I just liked and loved watching play, I would have David Garrett really high. Nutter, what do you like about David Garrett?
2: Yeah, uh, definitely the biggest, you know, plays pretty damn big for 5'8". He, uh, I I think the problem with David Garrett is he gets lost in the shuffle because he was a bright spot on a couple of pretty terrible defenses, you know, early in Snyder's regime. Um, Really kind of came into his own in 2010, though. I'm looking up the stats here because I wanted to make sure I didn't have it wrong. The man had 92 total tackles, 15 of them behind the line of scrimmage, three sacks, a pick. I mean, like for, you know, that for that hybrid, you know, I guess they kind of called it that rover position. That's that's a pretty damn good line. And then, uh, you know, he was obviously a staple of what became a pretty solid defense in 2011. So, yeah, I think he kind of gets lost in the shovel because he didn't have a lot around him, especially that first year he really started to contribute. But yeah, really, really liked that guy.
1: Great player and gone too soon. Uh, For all of our number nine spots, we have three different offensive linemen between Dalton Reisner, B.J. Finney, and Cody Whitehair. I had B.J. Finney for mine. I believe I'm the only one who had Finney on my list. Um, You know, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time talking about the offensive linemen unless one of you guys have something to throw in there. Um, They're all about equal to me. I wish we could say more about offensive linemen. I wish I knew enough about offensive line to – really dive into it, but do you guys have anything to add with those guys?
2: I, uh, about came, um, my head exploded when he, when Reisner scored that touchdown against Texas tech as a, uh, current and former fat guy, that really hurt my heart when they, uh, when they took that off the board.
0: (laughs) I will, I will say for Reisner, um, he, he, a, a guy with a great attitude, always Mr. Positive. Um, and, and played multiple positions on the line, so you have to acknowledge the versatility there too. Like he did it all, and, and really, I think that that's why he's in my mind a, a notch above Whitehair and Finney. All of them made great contributions, and this was also, you know, we talked about Charlie Dickey. I, I think this really underscores how good we he was at developing talent, because it seemed like every. Really, up until the last couple of seasons, the offensive line was always a very reliable commodity that you could bank on. And they really understood schematically, too, how Bill and the company wanted to attack with the QB run game and whatnot. And we, we know, I, I know I've harped on that and how predictable that became. But at the end of the day, those guys always did their jobs execution-wise. We, we were very rarely, again, out like vastly outclassed and overworked on the offensive line that just did not happen. And those guys are a big reason why
3: I will say uh, offensive line. I have white hair as my number one. Um, I just think, you know, you look at white and Reisner and both kind of played, uh, different positions than they currently do in the NFL. Um, but I think white hair was a natural guard that was almost elite as a tackle in college and then obviously got drafted and is doing really well as a a guard. Um, I think Reisner played mostly center in college, if I'm not mistaken.
1: He only played center his first year, and then he switched out to right tackle the next three years. Right tackle, okay. Well,
3: they they both kicked out to tackle when they were both natural guards or interior linemen. Um, I feel like Whitehair... He played left tackle, correct? He he played all of the base. He played guard and tackle. He
1: he played left guard and then left tackle.
3: Okay. Yeah, I think he was just... I just think he's the best offensive lineman in 2.0 with a close second of Reisner there. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out because it looks like I have white hair higher than the rest of you fellas.
1: Yeah, and I would go a little reverse on that. So I had... Finney is my number nine. Whitehair is my number eight, and then Reisner is my number six. I always kind of thought that, uh, you know, definitely Whitehair was an elite guard, but struggled just a little bit as a tackle. Uh, obviously, as I said earlier, I don't know how to judge offensive linemen. I mean, I I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. This could be based off of one play that I saw in 2013 or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that's how I have them ranked. Uh, up next, I have Jordan Willis as my number seven. Jeff and Nutter both have Willis as the number six and eight hat uh, eight for number for Alex. Alex, why don't you like Jordan Willis? <laughs> uh,
3: I threw a list of 10 guys on here. and didn't really tweak it too much. So, yeah, I I probably looking at it right now, I would probably flip Reed and Willis and uh, put Willis up at six somewhere in that range
1: but I do like Willis quite a lot. Okay. I guess that means I have him ranked lowest. Um, you know, Willis was a guy who played as a true freshman and then didn't really pop until kind of the second half of his junior year and then really took off his senior year. So that would be the only thing holding him back for me is that he didn't um, produce as much early in his career as some of these other guys. But that senior year, he just went crazy. I mean, he I believe he tied the sack record at K State, but then had an unbelievable amount of pressures to go along with it. I think Anybody the, else have any more Willis thoughts? I think
3: uh, uh, just it's more of a, a revisionist thing, just based on how how his NFL career has gone, and people that know a lot more than I do about scouting. You know, they obviously he was very productive in college and was still a second round pick. But there's a little stiffness in his body, and he kind of just, if he wasn't going to beat you on the bull rush, he didn't really have that secondary move. Um, so I think he kind of, looking at all these highlights, you kind of notice that. Like, he was very good at it and overpowered college-level opponents. Um, so not to take any anything away from his college career, but, you know, kind of just looking at how his NFL career has gone uh, kind of makes you notice as we've been looking back that um, he was he was a bit of a I don't want to use that term he just he he lacked that secondary elite like uh, rush move so
0: now he was in my book um, one of the best defensive ends in K State history I think he he and uh, you know he he's certainly in the conversation with. Niall Lyron and Darren Howard, he, he was uh, unbelievably productive, uh, had finished his career with uh, 39 and a half tackles for loss and 25 and a half sacks, big 12 defensive player of the year in 2016. And Alex, you you, you kind of touched on it there at the end, like, and I'll mention this, you, you can't coach six five to two sixty. And he he that was one of the things I remember when I first saw him come onto the scene, like this guy's got a really good frame. And if you can put the the muscle on that, like he could turn into a guy who can really wreck games. And he ended up developing into that kind of player. And, and really most of the end the defensive ends that we saw throughout the two oh era were guys checking in at like Six one, six two, maybe two thirty five, two forty. Willis was uh, obviously had the measurables. There's a reason why, again, this guy was drafted, and is playing on Sundays, or will won't be for few this year. But, um, but yeah, I I just really enjoyed watching him play, and it's always in my mind. We we just we never really had. Th- there weren't many guys who were just that, like that physically imposing and that dominant at their position in the 2-0 era. But Willis was certainly one of those. That's just not a a, a luxury K- the K-State fan is typically used to. That's why I loved watching him play.
1: Looks like we all have Ty Zimmerman at a number five spot. That might be our only unanimous spot. Uh- <laughs> you know, what can you say about Ty Zimmerman? He was an unbelievable player back there, quarterback of the defense. And I think one of the reasons we all appreciate him was how big of a loss it was not to have him in that 2012 Baylor game. What do you guys remember about Zim? Unfortunately,
2: uh, Waco in 2012 is the first thing I remember. It's super sad that that's how we realized how crucial he was, but it's, Yeah, absolutely true.
3: Yeah, he never really wowed you with, you know, pure athleticism, but he was just always in the right place at the right time, making huge plays. And, you know, I think we're all going to agree on this. You kind of take it for granted. You know, he's good back there. But then when he's out, you're like, well, you know, we should be okay, but maybe not. And then you realize how much he really meant to that defense. And that's, you know, sometimes a lot of the, a lot of, uh, a lot of players, you don't, you, you, you appreciate them more when they're gone um, or when they're injured and you don't have them back there and you kind of see what happens
0: without him. I think that's the case here. Yeah. Zim is, is Ema to the core. Um, Again, one of the things I always remember it is just, I felt so horrible watching him walk out on crutches for senior day because he was obviously out for that game against Oklahoma in 13 and just crying cuz you 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 know the guy wanted to be out playing but perhaps one of the the most uh heady cerebral guys K-State had on the back end throughout the entire 20 era uh, again was uh, every year was honorable mention or better recognition on the all big 12 team. Um, There you can check his bio to find all the superlatives. Like again, the guy did, did everything and and did so much in terms of getting everybody lined up and everything was truly the quarterback of the defense. He was, he was a treat to watch. And and again, a big reason why those secondaries, again, it's, when you have guys like Nigel Malone and Alan Chapman and a future draft pick and Randall Evans working alongside you, it, it you know, it makes life easier for you. But at the end of the day, he was helping get everybody in position. And he was doing that from day one. And that was the thing I admired most about his game was just again, the knowledge, understanding where to be. And he was a very sure tackler, too. That's one. And that's certainly after last season, that's one thing I've really come to appreciate is guys that know how to wrap up and hit. And, and for a guy who might not have had all the physical tools that a lot of other guys do, he was about as sure a tackler as you could possibly ask for at that safety spot.
2: Uh,
1: next up in my number four spot, I've got Daniel Thomas, D Train. Jeff also has him number four. The other two guys have him at number three, so we're all pretty close on that one. Uh, a guy that I, I mean, I just appreciate the heck out of him. Just he played on a couple of awful teams uh, with almost no passing threat. The whole defense was keyed in on him, and yet he still put up monster numbers. For a guy to run with such power and to yet just be so nimble with the ball, I mean, there's no other word I can think of just to describe his running style, um, he could juke you, he could run you over, he could do whatever he wanted back there, and he was still learning the position. He had been a quarterback at junior college before he'd come to K-State. Um, I, I'm still in disbelief that he didn't have more of a career in the NFL. What do you guys think about Daniel?
3: Love the guy. I- Sorry.
0: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I always think about how bad those teams would have been in 09 and twenty ten without him there. <laughs> he like you like you said, clint, he was he was the alpha and the Omega for those squads because they they just did not have a lot of weaponry around him. And, and the fact that that guy produced almost three thousand rushing yards uh, in 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 only two seasons when you knew like that. He is at the top of the opposing scouting report. He is the guy that you need to stop and to see him produce the way that he did was was really nothing short of remarkable.
2: I think the first two years of the Bill Snyder era are remembered very differently if Daniel Thomas is not here. Um, I mean, Clint, you kind of alluded to like his combination of speed and strength. There's a play, and now I can't remember who we were playing, where he had Braden Wilson out lead blocking in front of him, and he ran down Wilson and to pick up a few more yards. He basically stiff armed Wilson's back and more or less kind of like shot, put him into the defender in front of him while running at full speed. And I think that was kind of Daniel Thomas embodied right there. Like that, that dude was fun to watch.
3: Yes. I'll just add, love the guy. He was fun to watch. Definitely carried the team those two years. So it would have been really cool to see what he could have done on a better squad. Um, and also, yeah, I was I was for sure he was going to be quite successful in the NFL. I remember going into his rookie year, I was watching like NFL Network or something, and they had, or it was like a, uh, like what rookie running back should you draft? That's, you know, and it was like Daniel Thomas. He's he's the rookie running back that's going to get the most yards this year. And, you know, I, pretty surprising the way he was built that he wasn't more successful in the NFL. But.
1: For sure. Uh, next up, Arthur Brown. I have him as my number three. Alex had him at four. Jeff had him at two. And Nutter also had him at four. The former five-star. I mean, there's not many five-stars K-State has gotten over the years. You know, another Brown brother transferred in. A couple of JUCO guys maybe early in uh, the days of rating star players. Um, Arthur Brown definitely looked like a five-star out there. He was the the first guy that uh, – or all my top three guys, I could consider um, them being that number one ranking. Um, Hard to rank these guys here at the top. Um, The the 2012 team is not what it is without Arthur Brown doing some amazing things from his linebacker position.
3: Yeah, the unique uh, mix of, you know, he wasn't the biggest linebacker, but he was as big as he needed to be and as strong as he needed to be but he just was flying around the field you know that that 2011 Baylor game where he just runs down RG3 uh just I'll never forget that and honest you know lesser note similar to Daniel Thomas I'm maybe not quite as surprised just because of his he was a little bit undersized for NFL but I'm still pretty surprised that he was he didn't really do much in the NFL either mm
1: mm-hmm. mhm yeah, it was almost like he didn't even need to learn the defense at K State. That he just was so instinctual that he would just find the ball carrier and smack him. I don't know if that was his problem. I remember someone telling me that that was an issue, but I have no idea if that was true or not.
0: I did not care because he was such a a naturally gifted, just a a freak of an athlete, and again, one of those. You know, I talked about plays that I remember, and the build-up to his interception, or the build-up rather, to that Jordan Volker deflection. Um, Arthur Brown just flying out of the, like not even in the frame as Robert Griffin is scrambling towards the near sideline, and then you just see him hog tie him and and get him down. And this is Robert Griffin again. This is an All Big Twelve track athlete, <laughs> and, and 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 Arthur just ropes him down like he he was again I I appreciate those transcendent type players that K State doesn't typically get and Arthur Brown was absolutely one of those again the five stars next to his name certainly helps but this guy certainly um talked the talk and walked the walk had back to back 100 tackle seasons big 12 defensive player of the year in 2012 uh he it was an exceptional talent and I too I, I to echo you, uh, Alex, he's it's stunning that he didn't carve out a niche in the NFL just with how great of a nose for the ball that he has. He always just seemed to know where to be, where to line up, where the play was going. He was great at diagnosing plays because he just it honest. I, I always kind of look back and laugh during the 2012 season because I felt like Dave Lewis, when he's calling out who's making tackles on the PA. I just felt like if he didn't know or if there's just like a big scrum and you have no idea who actually truly tripped up the ball, Gary, Dave Lewis said, tackled by number four, Arthur Brown. Like he just (laughs) defaulted to Arthur Brown. He he was an unbelievable talent, unbelievable talent. We need more of them. We need more of them.
1: (laughs) So, Jeff, you had Colin Klein as your number three player. So when we were making this list, all we said was top 10. We didn't say most important. We didn't say most talented. We just said top 10. But I'm curious, do you think that Arthur Brown was more important to that 2012 team than Colin Klein was?
0: Uh, Just if I look back at the impact that Arthur, you really have to kind of take it all the way back to the 2010 season and see how bad that defense was. And then the transition it made and and the vast improvement it made in 2011 just simply by having Arthur's presence there in the middle. Uh, Again, I I think Colin, uh, again, another player who I won't say was transcendent. Uh, He's not obviously the most athletically or physically gifted guy. Um, I think really Colin was more of a guy that was not to use this comparison because they're two completely different animals, but he's just built like John Holcomb and John Holcomb and Colin have the same body types and they have the type of frame that can endure 200 carries in a season and can take that type of punishment, which is the way we we talked ad nauseum about how Dimmel and Snyder and the rest of the offensive brain trust wanted to use quarterbacks in, in this offense. And I think Defensively, the impact that Arthur had; those those defenses take a very significant step back, and those teams don't reach the heights they do without Arthur Brown in the middle, anchoring both uh, the 2011 and the 2012 unit. Now, what happens to those K State teams without Colin Klein? You can also make that argument as well. I I mean, that's that's one of those. It, it was very hard for me, but I I don't know. I just I've always looked at K. Snyder has always found a way to manufacture points more more often than not really 2018. The season that we just looked at was the one year where that team just really kind of struggled to put things together consistently. I, I think they would have found a way to produce points, but I, what those teams do without Arthur Brown, what those defenses give up without Arthur Brown... I, I think he has to be a notch higher on uh, that. That was why I put him a notch higher rather um, than I did on Colin.
1: Well, the rest of us has Colin Klein. Number two, I won't argue with you too much. Like I said, I could see Arthur Brown all the way at number one, even though I have him at number three. Um, you know, Colin was just such a warrior and a leader and uh, I think an underrated talent. I mean, he wasn't a four or five star he was kind of a an afterthought, three-star that we pulled out of Colorado. Nobody was excited about him as a recruit. Nobody that I knew of, at least. Um, he comes in and he makes a transition to wide receiver. Uh, Bill Snyder comes back and brings him back into the quarterback position. And um, you know, just thinking about that Texas game, just it just gives me chills just to think of that coming out party he had, where he only passed the ball a couple of times, and he just ran it down Texas's throat. And, um, you know, he would go on to make great improvements in the passing game and be a very serviceable passer. Um, But I just think of him as a guy who knew how to win, and that's, to me, the most important thing that a quarterback needs to be able to do. What do you guys think about Colin Klein?
2: I think... He's all right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I would say... uh, I think what um what jeff is trying to say is maybe that what arthur brown was bringing to the table was more based on his talent and skill whereas colin klein you know he had more of the the production and the the leadership maybe of what why was he he was so important not necessarily that you know you had to have like a Michael Bishop level talent to, to to have that sort of success. He just, you know, he knew how to win. Whereas Arthur Brown, his he pushed it to a next level just because not just because of his, you know, his effort and will to win, but also just his physical talents were um, so superior for for a, a linebacker um, for that defense. that's kind of what I was taking, and I kind of agree with that as well. Um, but for for Colin, you know, it, it it was like you said, Clint, it was never about his physical abilities being vastly superior to anybody. It was just, you know, he he knew who he was. He knew what he had to do to go out there and make plays and win games. And he went out and did it. He did it consistently and he put his body on the line. And um, yeah, and he did it very well.
2: I will just say, obviously, you know the stats and the accolades speak for themselves. But uh, it is so unfortunate that he was invited to the Heisman ceremony in the same year as Johnny freaking Manziel and Manti Te'o. That is just like the most unfortunate combinations of guys that he had to that he had to go to New York with. Because I mean, you got to think any other year he's probably given a little bit more realistic look. But unfortunately, that thing was locked up the day Johnny beat Alabama. I think we talked about that already. But uh, what could have been, I guess
0: and and you do have to mention that like 86 total touchdowns and over 7000 all purpose yards for him like Colin was a machine and i i think like i said i i tend to appreciate the guys that we get that are are not are rarities for us like an Arthur Brown we we don't see those types of talents come through the door every day but in the same breath to see a guy like Colin, who is not the most physically gifted, ultimately develop into a Heisman finalist, that is another area where you you, you it, I, I really struggled so hard with, so much with with where to put those two. Um, and, and honestly, I I'm questioning what I did, what decision I made there. But damn, they were just both so fun to watch, and to have have them in Manhattan at the same time was just truly unique and such a special event that, uh, again, we talk about how you don't want to take those those seasons for granted. Those were a lot of fun because of those two, for sure.
1: Now, I believe we all have uh, Tyler Lockett as our number one player. It's kind of hard to tell because someone's been messing with the uh, Excel sheet. Alex got a has a big old smirk on his face, so I assume that was him. Uh, I was a little surprised that we all had Tyler Lockett. I think it's very close. Um You know, for me, he was just such an exceptional uh, talent with the ability to make the quarterback's job so much easier. Um, The fact that he was getting wide, wide open constantly, no matter who he was playing, um, you know, he's been able to transition it to the NFL. Uh, He's just an unreal talent that um, the fact that he's from the Royal – family of K-State just makes it all the much sweeter. Uh, What do you guys think about Tyler Lockett?
2: I would be curious to know what your guys' thoughts were when we signed him out of high school. Did you think he was just, you know, kind of the token legacy piece, or did you think he was going to become what he became?
1: I don't don't think anybody
0: knew. Oh,
2: go ahead.
1: Well, I I thought he was going to be good. I don't, I I could not have known he was going to be this good, though.
3: I thought he would be good because his speed was really good in all of his testing. And I remember watching highlights of him, I think from the Tol or the uh, Oklahoma like state championship game, and he had a hell of a game, and I'm like, okay, this guy, you know, didn't think he'd become what he what he did become, but I was pretty excited
1: about him. Hands of Kevin, speed of Aaron. That's yeah. quite the combination.
2: That's the perfect description. I think when you're good enough that your coaching staff goes out and like handpicks you a valet quarter uh, valet quarterback, you're you're pretty damn good. Yeah.
3: So my overall and thought, Lockett being my number one player, and some of this has to do with validation of his NFL career as well. But he has it's it's a it's a combination of he's one of the rare guys that had the talent and the capabilities, but also the production to go along with it. And I think we all knew he had the production in college and from what we saw, he was a very good college wide receiver. You know, I thought he would be pretty good in the NFL, but I think his NFL career has been better than I thought it would be. And I think it's proven that his physical talents, maybe I was underrating a little bit. So yeah, in my mind, you know, I think he's the best receiver in K-State history uh, or there's a debate on that. Definitely the best in, in Snyder 2.0. Um, but he's the rare guy that has all the talent, the speed, the route running. Um, you know, probably one of the best route runners I've ever seen. You know, his hands, his NFL hands are amazing. His college hands were a little suspect at times. But, uh, you know, but also the production that he went out there and he made plays and... You know, it's not just a guy with the potential or the the guy that, you know, performed above his talent level. You know, both of those uh, categories are, are pretty high.
0: And Tyler kind of embodies both of those elements that I talked about with Colin and Arthur and that we had a guy who, at the time we did not know how physically gifted he, he truly was. Um, and in the, and that's probably why he was not as highly recruited. You know, my, my God, if <laughs> if he goes out and runs a 4 three forty, and, you know, some Saban underling is, you know, gets a whiff at him, all of a sudden he's a four-star and he's in the top 100 and, and we don't have a shot at him. Um, Tyler, like the way, like a guy who contributed day one, the second he got to campus, and really developed each and every year and really in every aspect of his game and the kick return game, punt return receiving, like, I mean, my God, if it wasn't for one drop in one game, we would be thinking, you know, the, the, he he that's and it sucks that that play is magnified so much in that auburn game but he had a, a truly remarkable career and, and watching him grow and and develop into one of k-state's best receivers was uh, was awesome and, and and the reason I put him at one um for for all the, uh, the obvious reasons that I stated his contributions as receiver and and, and in special teams don't, can't go unacknowledged but I think again you think about how vastly pedestrian those 2014 and 2013 teams become without him on them like he 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 single-handedly ascended k-state from being in 2014 probably a a six and six-ish level team to being a big 12 title contender and in 2013 you know be it not for some uncertainty in a quarterback room he he might have taken that team to that type of ceiling there again as well like he he was truly that influential on both of those rosters and really on every roster every year that he was on the roster
1: yeah, and we barely even talked about how elite he was at special teams and um he he would do it all four years, but I think by the time he was a junior and senior they were kind of weaning him off the special teams to have him focus more on offense. Um, But I I mean, you could easily say he's the best kick returner of all time and no one would bat an eye. Well, that's it for our top 10. We'll uh, post these probably later in the week, give people the chance to listen and uh, love to hear what everyone would have to say about our list and post your own. We'd love to hear from you.
0: And I, I will, uh, throw one final question out there uh, to before. So we can all have one final chance here to to wax poetic before we wrap up this installment. Um, I the the 1.0 era was awesome. It, w- it was amazing to see Snyder take this moribund program from the depths of college football into a team that was perennially winning 9, 10, 11 games, contending for Big 8 and Big 12 titles. Uh, and I don't think anybody could fathom that being the ceiling for a, a program like K-State. Now, the the landscape of college football, it, it, it changed so drastically at towards the end of 1.0 and I, I think the bi- the biggest reason for that uh, the, you know changing in schemes and philosophies was one thing but you you're you're seeing it now um, the the dis- distribution of talent and how talent nationwide is being it's be- and uh, this is a personal opinion but the, uh, it it truly is being funneled into the big name blue blood programs now because Media outlets like ESPN and others are putting the notion in kids' heads that you you can you cannot compete and reach the NFL if you don't go to Georgia to Clemson to Michigan to Ohio State, and, and that that's really hurt the sport holistically. It's that's been very tough to watch, and I think that was really tough at the end of the 1-0 era because. All of a sudden, these guys that were in these Kansas JUCOs that you know, Nick Saban's not sending assistants up to take a look at somebody at Hutch in 2000. You know, we're we and Mac Brown's not doing that. Bob Stoops is probably getting, it, but this is where. Bob Stoops and Leach and all those guys, and you're seeing the the proliferation of information and in, on these recruiting sites, and it becomes much harder to stash guys at these JUCOs and kids out of the Wichita area. All of a sudden, you know, kids that K State would assuredly get in the '90s, all of a sudden those Oklahoma schools start, you know, seeing highlights on rivals, and they start creeping up, and we start loo- and you start losing out on kids there. And I think that made things really tough. For Snyder and Co. at the end of the 1.0 era, I, I say all that to say what he did in 2.0 could arguably be more impressive because there was so much information out there on recruits, and yet somehow, despite the fact that we we talk about recruiting rankings in all these episodes, the these are classes that are topping out in the in the low in the 50s most years. I I think the question needs to be asked. Did did you guys feel that given the type of talent that K-State can uh, legitimately attract and land, did Snyder take K-State to its modern day ceiling or do you guys feel that there's still another rung up for, for K-State to reach?
2: I think for a lot of reasons you mentioned specifically, uh, revolving around, you know, what what the college football landscape has become. It's hard to foresee a situation where, where we can replicate, you know, something like 2012. You know, I think that putting the playoff in place really set the tone and kind of set the table for, you know, you have to be at one of about six schools to truly compete for a national championship anymore. And unfortunately, K-State is nowhere near that echelon. Um, it, uh, you know, which is an unfortunate truth, and it makes it sting that much more that, you know, not once but twice in Snyder's, you know, overall career, we were, you know, arm's length away from from that ultimate, you know, the ultimate prize. But, uh, you know, t- to answer your question, I do think, yeah, unless something changes, you know, unless the, unless the entire establishment changes, yeah, I think that's probably as close as, as K-State's going to get.
1: So I definitely don't think that Kansas State was the most talented team in 2012. Obviously, Oregon ripped us a new one. Uh, if we would have played Alabama, I think we would have got stomped. But there is a scenario where we are national champions that year. I, if Ty Zimmerman doesn't get injured, uh, I think there's a good chance we could have beaten Baylor. If we beat Baylor, then we played Notre Dame in the national championship I think there's at least a 50 50 chance that we win that game in K State's national champions. So that means, of course, everything had to have gone right for that to happen. And we already had some breaks earlier in that year, like against Oklahoma. Um, but I, so there is a scenario where there is a higher ceiling. But, you know, obviously that that's going to take some luck. That's going to take everything falling into place. All those Juco players that we uh, got in 2011. All had to be hits. I mean, that almost never happens. Uh, We had to find a a random kid in Colorado. Ron Prince recruited him. He had to turn into what Colin Klein was. We had to have a legacy wide receiver turn into the best player of 2.0 we all just voted on. Um, So it takes uh, unbelievable amounts of everything coming together that we might never see again. But I mean, the the possibility is there is what I'm trying to get at for our ceiling to be even higher than what we hit.
3: Yeah, I I'm struggling to answer this question because do I do I think Bill took us to our ceiling, which would obviously the ceiling of 2.0 would be the 2012 team where we're one game away from a national championship appearance, uh, but. You know, we didn't win that game, so we are just conference champions in a BCS game at that time. So, do I think that's the ceiling of the program? I think that's the ceiling, um, you know, an artificial ceiling that at that time was the ceiling, but I was expecting that ceiling to go higher and higher, so I feel like it's a tough question because that ceiling kept dropping after, you know, after 2012, based on subpar recruiting. Um, So I feel like if the college football landscape wasn't changing, like it's probably going to be changing over the next several years, I would say that uh, if somebody came in and really focused on recruiting and was a good football coach, I think the ceiling – could definitely be higher than what most of 2.0 was would it just be matching 2020 or 2012 possibly um but it's i don't know it's it's a hard question for me to answer based on the unknowns of how college football is going to look in five years um but to me you know that ceiling that snyder had in 2012 should have stayed relatively static or not dipped as much as it did throughout those years so yeah inconclusive i would say
0: (laughs) it's uh it's it's a very interesting question which is why i wanted to to throw it out there just because the 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 sport has changed so drastically in my my God, we just have no idea what college football, just in in, in general, is, is going to look like here in, in a few years. And you know, we talk about super conferences, and 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 some people are saying that, you know, yeah, it's going to be the Big Big Ten and the Pac Twelve or Sixteen, whatever it ends up being, in the SEC. But man, it like we could see much bigger dominoes fall and that that league that super conference could be a smaller pool of teams and then maybe we're talking about K-State potentially belonging to uh, a, a, a like a subset of former power 5 teams and the rest of g5 there could, that, i mean we could be talking about a division of a hundred some odd teams and maybe like 20 of the the big money elite programs in college football are, are playing and competing at their sport, and maybe there's a different rung. I mean, who's who's to say what this sport's going to look like? I, and again, obviously, there's uh, <laughs> quite a bit of uncertainty surrounding the Big 12 and its future. Um, but I, I guess I, I say all that to say that this this run that Bill had here both runs i should say are, are again nothing short of of remarkable and i think honestly 2.0 you can make a case for it being almost more impressive than 1.0 when you all, when you really do take a step back and you look at the the coaching talent that he was able to assemble in in 1.0 that that in and of itself was remarkable when you had a staff with Mike Stoops and Bob Stoops and Ven uh, Venzi and all these guys who would go on to lead program Mark Mangino guys who would go on to lead programs and then when you see him come back and and, and compile the staff that he does the second time around but still find a way to really if you think about it there you know the, you you're in conference title contention. Really, what amounts to being every every other season at the beginning of 20. After you get through 09, and you're you're right there in the thick of it in 11, and in 12 you take a um, quick step back in 13, but you're right back in in 14. Then you dip for two years, then you come back in 17, and a year in 17 that we all felt like that team was going to have an opportunity to contend. But again, injuries and and the sputtering offense just kind of did that team in. So. It, it was it was so much fun to uh, to even in 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 the times where it was getting lean and it was becoming apparent that a change was needed. It was still very very fun to to still watch the this program go out and compete the way that it did and compete against uh, the Big Twelve, the current iteration of the Big Twelve. and And I guess I'll just open up the floor to you guys one final time. If there was any other last uh lasting thoughts that you wanted to throw out about 2 anything because we we've obviously covered a lot of ground in these 10 episodes and i just didn't know if there was any stone unturned that you guys wanted to touch on before we wrapped up
3: i will say that uh you know it's the last few episodes have seemed you know probably pretty negative because they probably have been but you know 2.0 was a good time overall a lot of good things happened, and I think we were all you know, after some hesitancy of Snyder coming back the second time, uh, I think he righted the ship, and I'm just it's it's one of those things just you know he did what he needed to do when he came back, and we're all happy about that. I just wish that either he or somebody would have maybe got you know gotten through to him that you know, it was time to to hang it up and have like a, a transition plan or something to you know especially before the roster started to crumble um but yeah so overall 2.0 was almost exactly what we needed it to be from Bill if it would have just ended like three years earlier
1: well i i just wanted to mention um you know just how much i appreciate bill snyder i mean i'm from manhattan um the town as a whole uh, just the influence on me that a football coach had um, just from living in the same town was just huge I mean the fact that we're doing this pod right now I mean this wouldn't be happening obviously I mean we'd be talking about something else if we were doing it but we wouldn't be talking about it in general because there might not even be a K-State football at least not at this level um you know uh it it was very tough what's um what he got put through, whether it was necessary or not. I mean, you could tell how much stress he was under. I mean, I'm sure this decision weighed on him a ton. I, I've said multiple times throughout his coaching tenure that uh, Bill Snyder should be able to coach here as long as he wants. The things that he's done for this program, he has lifetime coaching, whatever. He can stay here, which is really easy to say in 2003 or 2012, but then you just see the direction the program's going and you know, just for the good of everyone involved, it was just something that needed to happen. Um, uh, but no matter what, I love the guy. You know, always be someone very special to me.
0: Clint, I think you 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 summed it up quite perfectly. And, uh, and not being a native of Manhattan myself, but I'll say my my parents both K State alums. Uh, I've married. Uh, Married, you know, met my wife at Kansas State and it was the school that I wanted to go to from the time I was, you know, 12 years old and I had no doubt in my mind it was where I was going to go. It's influenced so much in my life and, and so many of my my happiest days and memories have been at that stadium, you know, either with my, my dad, my, both my parents, or if it's been with my wife, I've just had so many wonderful memories there and, and we have that man to thank for it. And I I think, you know, each and every one of us would, would say that, uh, again, I, I just have no idea what we, (laughs) what we would be talking about if, if it wasn't for him and his impact on, uh, Manhattan, uh, collecting, 215 wins lifetime at a school that when he entered it was we everybody knows the losingest program in the history of college football in danger of dropping down da- uh, dropping to one double a or just being dropped entirely i mean all all those things that you know the average k-state fan knows he 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 was the reason he's the reason that so many people turn out that that we that so many people still care about going to to manhattan on saturdays like it's it's remarkable what kind of an impact just one person has had and i think that's a about as good a way uh, I, I can summarize it. Uh, I could go on and on uh, about games and players and and, and uh, guys. This has been a, a lot of fun going down uh, memory lane here as we get ready for the build up to the 2021 season. Uh, and for all of our listeners, if you've stuck with us to the end here, uh, we will say we we do plan on continuing to do this. We as far as what the show format's going to look like once we get into uh, the season uh, to be to be determined, but we will be sure to come up with some some unique ideas here. We we know there are lots of other K State podcasts out there. Uh, and obviously that's uh, again a testament to how many people still care about this program and this uh, this team and this university um we want to find a way to, to differentiate and carve out our own little uh, niche in our own little space here so just rest assured uh fans of college and Kimball that we will continue to come at you guys this fall we're very much looking forward again to the start of the 2021 season uh Go ahead, if you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. All of our Twitter accounts can be found on that page. And with all that being said, close it out as we always do. Cats, man, if you know, you know.